last couple of months, I've covered quite a few messages from the book of James. But I wanted to give you an outline or an overview of the book to kind to kind of remind us of what we've covered. Not a lot of things new, but to reorganize it in your mind so that you will have a better understanding of the book. I title this message in times like these. So whenever you're living, it's in times like these. Whether it was in the first century, it was in times like those. But today, it would be in times like these. And we have a command given to us from the Word of God of things that God wants us to do, how God wants us to be. But we have a lot of trials and tribulation, temptations, and I wanted to explain those just a, a tad better, but I wanted to give you a copy of the notes because you can add to this and study it later on on your own. James is a book that is written to those who know Christ as their Savior. They're believers, but they're not just believers. These are Jewish believers. These are Hebrew Christians. And it says in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So some like to talk about the, the lost ten tribes. Well, he wrote a letter to the twelve tribes, so I believe that they were remnants of all twelve tribes. And I believe in the tribulation period, once again, they will be the twelve tribes of Israel. So they're not lost. God knows where everybody is and what tribe they belong to. And then in verse 1, it talks about my brethren. But if you look there in your notes, I believe the proper response to the things that give us a greater understanding and appreciation is the why God did what he did. And we are to be thankful to the Lord because, letter A, trials that are designed to build character from the Lord, in response from the Lord. So we have a way that we're supposed to respond to the various things that happens to us. And the temptations that are designed to destroy character are not from the Lord. So there are things that God has sent our way to build our character. And that's what we consider to be trials and tribulations. See, you may have a financial difficulty, a health problem, may not have anything to do with the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh or temptations, the tempting uh, to do something that's sinful and wrong, God explains to us in his word that God doesn't tempt a man to sin. See there in verse 13, let no man say that when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So this is why when Jesus Christ was here, Jesus Christ was not tempted to sin. He had no sinful nature. It was a mockery. Satan wasted his time. And so you have these two things. The trials, tribulations, hardships, separate those from the temptations. He says in verse 14... Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
And then whenever that is fulfilled, then it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. So you have these two things. One is because you as a Christian can go through trials and tribulations. And we're not talking about the battle of the temptations of being drawn away because of the lust of the flesh. And so even if you do right or if you do wrong, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, there's trials and tribulations in the world. And whether you're saved or whether you're lost, there's temptations in the world. But you need to separate the two because the one God can use to build your character. The other one is to destroy your character. So you need to understand which ones are to build me and which ones are to destroy me. Because the temptations are the things that you can be tempted to do that will be destructive. It's not good for your health. Because then your heavenly father may have to chasten you. God doesn't necessarily chasten you because you have to go through trials and tribulations. Hardships. It could be, like I said, you could lose a job and have hardships. Trials. And does God still expect you to be faithful in the midst of trials? Yes. And if you are tempted by the devil to do something to produce sin, and you're drawn away with your own lustful desires, uh, can God still use that though? Yes, God can use it. Because if you're weak and you're not going to obey God, God can allow the devil to have at you free reign. And God can know ahead of time whether you'll stand or fall. That's why he says, be careful of bragging about how strong you are because lest you fall. So you can fall. And he says, there's many trials, many temptations. But with every temptation, even though within you there is the desire to sin, there is a way to escape that strong pull, desire to do so. And this is what the Word of God teaches. So the book of James is a book on how to live the Christian life. And so we're told that in these verses, like in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So many things in life is to design to to determine whether or not do you really love the Lord. And so he breaks it down to us. Look at number two, the theme of the book. In other words, we say, what is the purpose of this book? The Christian man is to produce the righteousness of God. And he says here in uh, this verse, look there in verse 19. In verse 19. Wherefore, that's wherefore, in spite of everything else he said before this point. Therefore, he says, My beloved brethren, Christians, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man, get verse 20, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So then what would it be the will of God for the man? It is God's will for the man to produce the righteousness of God. And the wrath of man doesn't produce that. So now we have a key verse in the book that tells us the purpose of the book. How a Christian is to produce the righteousness of God. And many say that well, the purpose of the book is talking about faith and works. Well, that's true. 
But there's more to it than that. But how does a Christian produce something? So we're talking about what a Christian is to produce with his life. And there's three things that God has given to us here in this verse 19. If you look there in your notes, by being swift to hear, swift to hear. And the verses that covers this goes all the way over there to chapter 2 and the end of chapter 2. But whenever you read down here in verse 22, there's something that you keep in mind. It says, and I have here in the number one, it is faith with no works. Faith and no works. And the second thing up there in chapter 2 is talking about works, no faith. And then in verse 14 down, it talks about you've got to have faith and works. All right, now look up here just a second. Here you are as a Christian. God wants you to produce the righteousness of God, not the wrath of man. God says it is not you having faith and then no works. In the second part of chapter 2, the first part, it's talking about not having the works and no faith. And then by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, it's talking about faith and works. So the Christian life is not for you just to say, well, I got faith and no works. And it's not for you just to have works and no faith. Because your works won't match what the Word of God says. I've had people tell me this. You serve God your way, and I'll serve God my way. And I say, if you don't serve God God's way, you don't serve God. So we're to serve God the way God wants to be served. We're to worship God the way God wants to be worshipped. We're supposed to call that which is holy, which God calls holy. And we're supposed to call that unclean, what God calls unclean. God's the one that decides. So we're supposed to listen to what he says. But look in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, you heard. And you can say, because I heard the word. Oh, I've got faith. i got faith in the Bible. i got faith that God's going to do this and this and this and this. But you don't live like it. You don't have any works that shows that you've got any faith in God's word at all. He says, you're just like the person who looks in the mirror, sees himself, but then goes like he never saw himself. He didn't make any changes. There was no improvement. Nothing happened. So what are you supposed to do? Well, God says, you're not supposed to be hearers only. See, in chapter 2, it's not supposed to have faith only. So there's something else that goes with it. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about things that accompany salvation. Here I am, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. If I don't have the things in my life that God wants me to have, by natural consequence and the nature of the beast, you're going to have thorns and briars in your life. They're not the things that you want. There are many of God's people that know what the Bible says, understand what it says, and then will purposely go against the Bible. Leon and I was talking to an individual this this week about a person who, who, who knows this, knows right, knows wrong, and they're going to do wrong anyway. Right, Leon? Right. Just going to do wrong? They're going to do it anyway. And I says, you never thought that what you're now doing you would have ever done. 
you never would have thought that what you're now doing, you would have ever done. You didn't think you would ever go that far. But people don't think. You see, the devil will try to get you little by little to separate you from any kind of authority so that you can do whatever you want. People that don't stay close to the Lord are bent on destruction. And it's going to happen. Just a matter of time. But look what he says in verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty continueth therein. He be not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. So here you got a man who's got the faith, but no work. Doesn't produce anything. But if you will I'll put the two together, it would be great. It'd be wonderful. How many times I've seen people that go to church and you can go to church all your life. And yet the word of God has never changed that person's life. Never altered how they think, how they talk, where they go. It's just that church is a place they go, I guess, and it's um, a temporary thing, but it's a um, like putting salve on a sore. They don't do anything to get rid of the problem. It's just they go ahead and play a game like with the Lord. Like they're not really serious. And it's just like if an offering came by, they, they put a quarter in. But like, that'll keep God off my back. Just enough to keep God from really whooping them real bad. They don't want to do too much bad, just a little bit. Don't want to do too much good, just a little. And they want to just ride the fence and never get on one side or the other. Well, they won't grow strong in the Lord. Won't accomplish much. Won't have much power of influence in their life. Now, look up there in chapter 2. Then he's talking about people that know the truth, but they don't all believe exactly the right way. And he says that you become partial. In verse 4, are you not then partial in yourself and you become judge of evil thoughts? You're going to the right places. You're trying to do the right thing. He said, but whenever there's certain people around, you act differently. In other words, you're not totally committed. You're a fence straddler. You're sometimes you've got the faith, and then sometimes you got the works, and then sometimes you got the work, and you don't have the faith, and you're but you're not clear. And so he goes down through here, and he tells them, and has to warn them: you're doing things, but not correctly. In other words, if you're going to run the race, you have to be a master in all things. In other words, you have to be disciplined in every area of your life. And so there's some people who who go to church, but they're wrong doctrinally. They'll witness, but they don't tell them the true gospel. There's a lot of people who have a lot of weird beliefs. They're doing what they think in their mind is right, doing the works. There's Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and there's all kinds of people that are going to church, giving money, doing all things, but their belief is wrong. So they got the work, but they don't have the faith, the true faith. And so God says that's uh, out of balance. See, the key thing is if you can get a balance between winning and training. I believe in soul winning. I believe in talking to people about the Lord. But I also believe in guarding my life. I also believe that a Christian should read the Word of God and be close to the Lord and study God's Word and pray and do all these other things. I'm not just one side. If somebody says, all Yankee does is believe in just soul winning. That's all he believes in. That's all he knows. Then they don't know me. They're not listening to what I say. I teach many things about this book. You never know from one Sunday to the next what I'm going to cover. Unless I'm in a series on something. And I cover from anywhere in the Bible. I teach anywhere in this book. 
And I go through almost every book as I teach. In time, if a person comes every service, they will get a great, I guess, balanced knowledge of the Bible. Now, I can do that. But my goal is soul winning, but I need this other so I can stay strong enough to do that simple little old thing. Because the devil will try to stop you, try to ruin you. And so he makes a statement down here in verse 6. He says, but you despise the poor. They're making bad choices. They're making decisions, but the wrong ones. And he says here in verse 8, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. In other words, you got the work, but you don't have the love. You're doing the right things, but you don't love. Your motive is wrong. What you believe isn't exactly right. And as if a man keeps the whole law and offend in what? One point, he's guilty of all of them. He says, you're doing a lot of things right, but there's some things you're not doing that's right. That ruins it for you. There are spots upon your garments. Like having a little white tuxedo, but somebody's going to splash mud all over it. Well, it ruins it. And this is the way Christians are. And so he makes a statement down here. Look there in verse 11. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you did kill, didn't you still break the law? So there's Christians say they won't get right in every area of their life. They just think that just as long as I'm close. Do you think God just wants you to be close to Him? I mean, uh, close in something? Or uh, really, right there with the Lord? I didn't use the best choice of words there, but you understand what I'm talking about. So in verse 12, He says, So speak ye, and so do. Speak and do. So He says, Be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. The work of the flesh is that you're slow to hear, swift to speak, swift to wrath. Have you ever seen anybody who can lose their temper that quick? Never seen anybody like that, huh? Are you somebody like that? I tell you, I have to be honest. I can lose mine like that, just that quick. And that doesn't mean that you are, you know, you, you stay there, but you're, for the moment, you have an old sinful nature inside of you. It doesn't take much to get you mad. And if you are swift to hear God, you'll be all right. And slow to speak means you had to think before you speak. Slow down a little bit. Count to a thousand. <laughs> Somebody said to count to ten. That ain't long enough for some people. And, but if you're not right, then you're slow to hear what God says. See, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, ye are dull of hearing. It means you're slow to hear. Slow. And in other words, like you just turn God off. You don't even hear God. So if you don't hear, then you're going to use your judgment. And you're not going to respond the way God says. So God said, no, no, that's not right. Now look there in James chapter 2 and verse 14. From verse 14 down to verse 26... Then you're talking about how that you need the balance between faith and works. Because faith without works won't work. And works without faith won't work. In the Christian life, you have to have a balance between what God said and what you do. You've got to believe right so you can live right. And if you don't believe right, you can't live right. You understand that? You can see that. You can see that right there. Can't you see that? I know you can. 
So he goes down through here and he talks and gives them illustrations how that faith without works, it is dead. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. In these verses, are we talking about how to get to heaven? We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about eternal damnation and so forth. So when he says up there, can faith save him? No, it cannot save him. See up there in verse 14? He says, what profit, what doth it profit, my brother, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? No, it can't. Because we're not talking about salvation from hell. We're talking about can it save you from God's chastening? Can it save you from the judgment of God? Because every man's going to be rewarded for what he's done. He's going to suffer the loss. So you put this into context and it will make sense. But see, many people take these verses. These are talking about for salvation. And so you've got to have those works. Yeah, you've got to believe, but you've got to do these good deeds too. No, we're not talking about how to get to heaven. We're already talking to those who know Christ as Savior and explaining how that you need believe right and live right. If you believe right, you can produce the righteousness of God. If you don't believe right, you cannot. This is why every time you come to church and you learn a little bit more truth, it'll help you in your life. But if you go week after week or month after month and you never read the Word of God, you don't go to church, whatever, then you will find out you cannot live right because you don't believe right. See, Satan, little by little, you'd be surprised that the truth that is said on Sunday morning, Monday morning the devil is picking it out of your brain. Remember he uses the parable of the sower went forth to sow and he sowed some seeds and the birds came down and he got the seed before it got germinated into the ground so it could grow. What do you think the devil? And he used the statement and he says that the devil is like the birds that picks up the seeds out of your mind before you will think about it. That's why after a sermon is preached, the best thing you can do to remember it is to go over it and over and over again in your mind so that you can remember what was said. It'll do you more good. But by Wednesday, chances are, if you're like me getting older, you can't remember what I preached last Sunday morning. By tonight, you might not even know what I preached today. Somebody is working fast in order to get the things out of your mind or to get your mind on something else so that you can't remember what was said. All you know is, boy, that was a good sermon. What did he preach on? Well, I don't know, but it sure was good. How are you supposed to change your life if you can't recall anything that was said? If you can't remember? This is why notes, write it down so you can try to remember. Because that's why whenever you cover a certain verse, underline that verse. Not all of them. Otherwise, that one verse won't stand out. Just certain verses or certain thoughts, something that you learn. So that you can remember. They say a short pencil is better than a long memory. I don't care how long your memory is. It doesn't remember everything all the time forever. But a short pencil is better than a long memory. And it can help you. Now look at the next statement. By being slow to speak. This is chapter 3. And get this. Uncontrolled tongue receive greater condemnation. In other words, like it says in verse 1, My brother, be not many masters, not many teachers or instructors, because if you use this tongue to teach somebody, there is going to be greater condemnation upon you, greater judgment upon you, because somebody else might believe what you said. And what if you didn't say the right thing? 
See, if you are not willing to learn the truth, but you give your opinion to everybody, what if people are following your advice? What if they literally follow your advice and it's wrong? Do you ever think of the consequences that might make a difference in their life? I've had people that will lie and have lied about me. And people have believed a lie. And if they believe the lie, it could change their whole life. It could cause them not to ever go to church again because, you know, they, I heard, I heard, I heard. And it can destroy their lives. Is that a wise thing to do? You've got to make sure that what you say, your tongue cannot be tamed, but it can be controlled. It can only be controlled by the truth of God's Word. So whenever you believe right, you can say right. And if you don't believe right, you'll say whatever comes into your mind. And doesn't mean it came from God. But if in your mind you feel like it's truth, you'll stand up on it and you'll preach it and, you'll, and, and be totally wrong. And what a shame. Now, also, the second statement I wanted to give to you on this. Number two, uncontrolled tongue produces greater consequences. It talks about the tongue sitting on fire, the course of hell. In other words, this little tongue, if you just do things with your life, but don't say a word, it's not going to maybe damage too many people. But you can take that one little tongue and, buddy, you can inflame somebody that quick and hurt and destroy, cut. And because of the tongue, you can hurt somebody, make somebody mad, bitter, what all kind of things. And the consequences are unreal. But not only the consequences, but look at the next statement. Uncontrolled tongue revealed greater contradiction. You see, it, it says here in verse 10, Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing, cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be, because they contradict each other. God says this, you say this, and here's somebody weak in the faith, and they don't know what to believe, and you can influence somebody in the wrong direction. Bad consequences because the tongue is not controlled. Do you think that God wants us to produce the righteousness of God? Or with the tongue, are you supposed to produce righteousness by the things that you say? This is why you've got to be careful about what you hear, what you believe, what you say. Out of your mouth shall not come filthy communication. Out of your mouth should not come the gossip that destroys and ruins people. You've got to be very careful. I have to be careful. Because this scriptures is to God's children. And there's times when we may have guard upon our minds. And we are very careful. And then there's times when we may not watch what we say or do. But the consequences can be devastating. And so down through here you have some... Scriptures that tells us about the different kinds of wisdom in the world. The wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And trying to discern. So they will help you. Look at the next statement. The letter C. By being slow to wrath. Look in chapter 4. Is it possible for Christians to war with one another? Christians to devour one another? For Christians to say mean, bad, hateful things against one another? Is it possible? Hmm. And fightings? Yeah. In verse 1, for from 
Whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members. Uh, look back there in James chapter 1, and look in verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of, what? His own lust. So where does all the problems come from? Well, see, there's trials, there's tribulations. Those are things that you may not be able to control. You may not be able to help at what somebody else says or does. But are you supposed to be in control of your own lust? You can't blame nobody else for that. A man is drawn away because of his own lust when he is enticed. But what you have to be careful is that you don't try to in, be the instrument that entices somebody else to share in a, a lie, to spread gossip, to do wrong, go to the wrong places. I know people that used to go to church and they were faithful. And somebody that got them to miss on a Sunday morning and they went up to the mountains and had a great time. There's nothing wrong with it. Now those people keep going, but the ones that got them there, they don't because they go to church. But they stopped long enough to take somebody else and then they loved it. They didn't have the control. They don't go no more. Now is that good or is that bad? Is that, is that shame? You can use your influence in the wrong way. You've got to be careful. Everything in our whole lives produce the righteousness of God. He said, well, they're responsible for themselves, but God to make sure that you're not a stumbling block to somebody. You may be strong enough to say and do a lot of things. Go play it in, and it, you stay strong because you know right from wrong. You can discern. But somebody else may not be able to. It's whenever you care about them. It's not your conscience. Sometimes it's the conscience of somebody else whether or not they're strong or whether they're weak. Now look at letter C. I got two things down here. The lust of man will produce the wrath of man. So whenever you let the lust of the flesh control you, you're going to have the results, and that's going to be the wrath of man. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And now line in verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, there's two things about this verse I want to show you. One is this. The lust of man leads to destruction. The lust of the Holy Spirit leads to the fruits of righteousness. You mean the Holy Spirit has desires? Yes. Can a man grieve the Holy Spirit? When you don't produce the righteousness of God in your life, the Holy Spirit is grieved because that's why he's there. He is to work in your life. And he lusteth to envy. In other words, to the point of it. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God is a jealous God. You ever heard that before? He's jealous. If a Christian falls in love with the world, you don't think God's jealous? Would you be jealous if your husband began to look at another woman? Spend time with another? Would you get jealous? Be a little envious? Why not? That's the way we are. That's the fear of being replaced. God doesn't want to be replaced because you love something else more than God. It's wrong. So the Bible tells us that there's the lust of man that leads to the wrath of man and the lust of the Spirit that will lead to the fruits of righteousness. But look at it somewhere else. 
If you have the lust of the flesh and it leads you into sin, is it possible that there were some that thought, well, it's not my fault. Uh, God tempted me. And that's why the scripture says God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempted he any man. Because some Christians think that God's the one that tempted them to do the wrong. And so it's not my fault, it's God's fault. Because God tempted me. God doesn't tempt a man to do wrong. That never came from God. He says you're drawn away from your own lust from within you, not God. But do you actually think that the Holy Spirit that lives within you lured you into sin? That one way God's going to test you is God's going to tempt you with sin. God doesn't tempt with sin. He'll give you trials. He'll give you tribulations. Those aren't necessarily sins. Just because you're having a rough day, bad health, no finances, or this or that, that doesn't mean we've done, you've done a bunch of things wrong because of sin in your life. No. But now, if you go out here and commit adultery, that's a different story altogether. If you lie, that's a different story altogether. If you murder somebody, that's a different story. That's not tribulations and trials. It can lead to that, but that's because of the temptation, the lust on the inside, the man that produced the wrath. And that's not the will of God. But what is the solution to the pride that produces the lust of the flesh? Because a man wants his own way. Look what he says in verse 6. Instead of pride lifting you up, let it be humility. The opposite of pride is humility. In verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. So you haven't seen the devil in all these verses. But the devil's behind it, ain't he? He's there. The devil's at work. He's at work in your life. You say, can you see the Lord working in your life? No, I don't think so. Can you see the devil working in your life? Well, sometimes I think he's working more than God. You're the, uh, the instrument by which they're both fighting over to get you to do certain things. There's a war going on. And the battle is real. But get what he says. Resist the devil and he will what? flee from you. He will flee. Resist. Not go along with it. Now, as you go down through here, and we don't have time to cover all of this here, but I did want you to see this. Look at number three in your notes there. Endure till the end. Have you ever heard the phrase, ah, those that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Well, enduring to the end, I believe it's the will of God for every Christian to endure to the end of every trial, every tribulation, and to endure the temptation, as he says in chapter 1 and verse 12. In other words, until the Lord comes. You see there in chapter 5 and in verse 7, talk about being patient and so forth. And in verse uh, 8, being patient until the Lord comes. Verse 9, grudge not one against another, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Don't you understand that the Lord is right there at the door and we're, we're going to be there. We're, we're going to be there. And the judge, the Lord, is watching everything. You don't have to be a judge in everybody else's life. You don't have to go around condemning. Remember this. And this is a good thing to remember. The Bible, and everybody knows John 3.16, or most people. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, if I've been sent into the world and you've been sent into the world, we're not to go into all the world and condemn everybody. We already know people sin, don't we? So we don't have to condemn them. They're condemned not because of what they've done, but because they don't believe. So the key in our Christian life is not trying to find all the sin in everybody's life so we can condemn everybody. The goal in the Christian's life is not trying to find all the sin in everybody's life. I already know every one of y'all said in here sin. But I don't care to know what it is. And I don't care to take and uh, elaborate on all the bad things you've done all of your life. And I don't really have any great desire to share all of mine with you. So therefore, I'm glad that we don't have a booth up here and you've got to come up here and confess your sins and pay me for doing so. Aren't you glad all you've got to do is just talk to the Lord about it? Or if you wrong somebody else, you can make it right with them. So we have the scriptures that tell us, look, look down the road. There are results down the road that after you have done this, look at letter A. When you believed all you can and you have worked all you can, and you have prayed all you can. And if nothing changes, what should you do? Praise the Lord anyway. Look at letter B. When you believed all you can, and you worked all you can, and prayed all you can, and if everything changes, what should you do? Praise the Lord regardless. And stay faithful until it's all over with. God, God doesn't want you to just be faithful until you're 30. Be faithful till you're 40. Be faithful until you're 50, 60, 70, 80. Now, it doesn't matter. Be faithful until the end. Endure till the end. It didn't say you're going to enjoy everything, but we can endure everything that the devil throws at us, the flesh throws at us, and unbelievers throw at us, and even Christians can throw at you. You can still be found faithful. Can't you? Isn't it worth it? And he says, look at the end result of Job. The patience of Job. Mentioned right here in these verses. And then whenever you have others for an example, then he says this, pray. Pray. You got trials, what should you do? Pray. Got tribulations, what should you do? Pray. Got temptations, what should you do? Pray. Pray all the time about everything. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if that much is true, it means it makes a difference in your life. It may not change the circumstances, the world, the trial, the tribulation, but it can make you stronger. And that's what you're praying for. So that you can endure. Sometimes God will not move the things away from us. Our answer to prayer would be if God just removed the temptation. But sometimes that's not possible. We live in a world of temptation. And God says if you become a friend of the world, you're no longer a friend of God. And he talks about in this book, James chapter 2, that Abraham was a friend of God. means he didn't love the world. And many of God's children are in love with the world. And God is jealous. God doesn't like that. I hope that those notes will help you just a, a little bit more to understand, I believe, one of the greatest books on the Christian life there is. You take it out of its context.
and try to apply it to the lost man, it's, it's chaotic. And that's why so many people, they don't do that with that book. Anyway, look up here. God loves you, paid for your sins. You trust him, he gives you eternal life. I believe all of you in here have heard me maybe two or three times. And you have eternal life and you're going to heaven when you die. But we're not there yet. It is the will of God that we just keep being faithful. Watch the things we say and do because there's other people that hinge upon our power of influence. Use your power of influence in the lives of other people to do right. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we do thank you so much for the word that you've given us. And Father, for this book that makes it so simple and so clear. And I pray, Lord, your will to be done in our church, in our home, our families. And bless these people and help us to endure until the end. Not for salvation, but because we're your children. And there's a lot of things in this world, a lot of battles to fight. So bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.